Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are super lucky to be joined here by Charlotte Bevan from Sands. Hi Charlotte. Good morning. We were just discussing studios. Yours is very farmy. We're we're in a garage, a shed and a barn this morning. So uh, I feel like it's all quite rustic. Rustic, that's the word. I kept saying rustic. Rustic's the word, yeah. Authentically rustic, maybe. (laughs) Rustic, I love it. Well, I'm in a garage, so it's just pretty rusty. (laughs) Yeah, rusty, yeah. 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 It's great to have you here, Charlotte. We were just talking about... Thanks for inviting me, yeah. Yeah, we were just talking about your your role at Sands, so do you want to share that? Yeah, so my role at Sands is as co-lead of the Saving Babies Lives team. Essentially, as a team of people who um, focus and work on building research networks and supporting and advising any research to understand why babies die. And then there's an, an arm of it that's that's really about prevention. And that, and that prevention arm, and it's an interesting one, because when we first started doing this work, people said, oh, you can't prevent a baby from dying. Babies do just die. And, you know, it's a, it's a tricky time of life and some babies are sick. And, and actually what we wanted to highlight was was actually that there are sort of avoidable deaths uh, in that period, in that perinatal period around, you know, late pregnancy and, and early um, birth. And so we we promote improvements to practice and care. We work with healthcare professionals um, and we develop sort of packages um, to improve, you know, the parents' voice being at the heart of their, their care so that they're listened to. So when they raise an alarm about something they're worried about, they are listened to. Mm. Um, and uh, and that that work we can And is, so, this, yeah. is this across all pregnancies or is this high risk pregnancies or is it, you know, wh- who are you aiming for with this? Oh no! I mean, I mean, the irony, of course, is that if you're in a high-risk pregnancy, you're more likely to get very targeted care yeah. because somebody will have identified you early on as being high risk. That the problems usually happening in in pregnancies that are not identified as as high risk because you have this very weird binary thing where where a woman is either low risk or high risk, and 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 you tend to you know label her at booking at thirteen weeks at twelve or thirteen weeks as one or the other. But of course, risk is dynamic; mm. it changes throughout your pregnancy. 
And what we generally see when we talk about avoidable deaths is, is that sort of scenario, is a woman who's either booked and identified as low risk who wasn't, but who's booked at low risk and becomes high risk, you know, a risk, you know, she, you know, her baby, you know, she has reduced, reduced fetal movements during her pregnancy and she raises an alarm about it and listens to her or mm. she doesn't get the right kind of care once she has, once somebody has listened to her, then, you know, she's not appropriately followed up in a sequential way that identifies that something is wrong. So, so it's the high risk ones that go to specialists you know, have specialists sort of care tend mm. to be in a slightly better place. And the irony, of course, again, is that once you've lost a baby, you end up becoming sort of so-called high risk and you're, you know, you're not high risk potentially in your next sequence. Get the sort of yeah. attention and extra scans and extra, you know, interaction with your healthcare professionals that you don't get in that first pregnancy. It's mm. so difficult, isn't it? Because when you're pregnant, you're so vulnerable because 99% of, of women who are pregnant are not healthcare professionals. We don't know what's going on in our bodies. We don't know. So when you raise that alarm and you think, you feel that instinctual sense of something not being right, and then you tell someone, if then leads to your baby devastatingly dying, there must be that always that sense of, I could have done more. I should have done more. I should have made my voice heard. When actually we're so reliant on other people with all the skills and all, this, all the education, taking that off our hands and, and settling us, that that must be beyond your baby dying. That must be so difficult to come to terms with the fact that you felt something was wrong and it was perhaps ignored or it was you would you know set up that everything would be fine don't be you know you're being over dramatic or you're thinking too much into it so um charlotte tell us about your personal story and why you started well you know everything you just said there bex is 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 completely you know resonates with me because that's exactly how i felt Mm. i felt like i was my baby's advocate you know Mm. who else was her advocate you know i i was carrying her and therefore, so in my personal experience, I, I had a little girl called Hope who died in 2001. And this comes a slightly complex, but essentially I had a twisted ovarian cyst that was attached to my ovary and it twisted around so many times that it had turned my ovary necrotic. And although they knew this in my pregnancy, because it was identified during my pregnancy, when I started going into preterm labor at 34 plus five days, nobody kind of put everything together. Nobody put the pieces of the jigsaw together to say, so this is a woman who has a complication here. She's in a huge amounts of pain. She's in early labor. Um, she, you know, she, I mean, I, I had been in hospital at 20 weeks sort of on pethidine, you know, um, oh uh, I, I, for, like, for like three or four days. But I've been and again, it's about, you know, this business about empowering women. I, I was given codeine and told if I felt in pain again, I should just take the codeine. And so you, you're trying to be a good patient. Mm-hmm. So when I felt really unwell at home at 35 weeks, literally just finished work, literally just gone on maternity leave. I thought, well, I won't bother anyone. I'll just take codeine. And of yeah. course the codeine did absolutely nothing. And, um, and I eventually went to my GP and she said, look, your baby's fine. I can hear the heartbeat, but you look absolutely shocking. You really need to go straight into hospital now. And then that began a sort of three day thing of going in and out of hospital and out of hospital with the hospital saying, well, she's a bit doing a scan. She's a bit small, but don't worry. You're just in early labor. It'll all be fine. And, and then eventually, you know, eventually um, I went in the final day I went in, they, um, you know, it became an emergency. And I had a basically in a category one C-section, which is the cesarean section you should have had, you know, an hour ago. 
and she was effectively born dying. So they tried to resuscitate her and couldn't. She was sort of alive, but with a very, very slow heartbeat, you know, sort of one beat in a second. I mean, the sort of heartbeat you could only hear with, hear with an actual sort of special piece of machinery. Uh, so they tried to resuscitate her and they couldn't. And it was, um, it was, it was, you know, incredibly shocking. I mean, I had no idea this happened. I literally mm. had no idea. And coming back to your point about, you know, about raising the, you know, women being pregnant, being vulnerable and, you know, feeling like, you know, you know, feeling that guilt associated with the fact that you haven't saved your own child. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that. I mean, there's just no getting away. I feel like if I had known what to expect, if I had known that this was not normal, and I had known that actually care isn't perfect. If somebody had told me, do you know what? Not all care is great. You know, yeah. you, need to, you need to be an advocate for your own care because you may not on that day, the unit might be busy. The mid, they might be one member of staff. Sure, you, you just don't know this mm. stuff. And, and do you still feel that way, Charlotte? Because this was 21 years ago now. Do you still feel that guilt? Yes, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's any... I mean, I think we all feel guilty about our kids alive or 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 not. You know, I have I now have one living child. And I think you just that's just that's just sort of being a parent, isn't it? You feel guilty yeah. about every aspect of their life. But yeah, I think yeah. I think I mean, of course, I'm able to say, you know, I mean, it's interesting, our our our, our baby loss awareness week, you know, theme is grief is sort of, you know, you're stepping from one stone to the other. It's yeah. not linear, it's complicated. And I I guess I feel like that's what's happened to me is that it changes. It changes yeah. all the time. And of course, I'm, you know, it's 20 odd years. I'm she'd be 21 this October. In fact, during baby loss um, awareness week, she'd she'd be 21 if she was still alive. So I, you know, I'm totally at peace with what's happened to me, but I definitely feel like in a way I got involved because I don't want other women yeah. to have to feel like they didn't have a voice and they weren't heard. And, yeah. and and they're not, um, you know, their voice isn't isn't important in this narrative of trying yeah. to get it right for your pregnancy mm. and personalizing your pregnancy. So, um, you know, guilt's a big word for 21 years on, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. It sounds a bit like complex grief, but I would definitely say, yeah, I feel I feel responsible. Yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to those feelings of guilt and and it's really hard to say to someone you shouldn't feel guilty it's not your fault but I think yeah. it's something that's just sort of ingrained in this whole situation mm. you just yeah. there's you're all, there's always going to be an element of it isn't there yeah, I think maybe one carries responsibility as part of love yeah you know? yeah they I mean they say that grief is love with no place to go right yeah. I think as well like as women we tend to hold that quite uh you know prominently in our lives we hold up that responsibility and I think also it what you're saying it goes against the grain of, of us saying things out of you know being difficult what we perceive as to be difficult as you said mm. earlier Charlotte like you were a good patient you know you thought you'd just take codeine and stuff I know many of us are like that we do as we're told because historically people who know what they're doing tell people who don't know what they're doing what to do and to kind of buck the trend and go against the grain mm. and be a pain in the ass or what we perceive to be a pain in the ass doesn't come naturally does it I and think especially we, if you're someone with not you know with with who who's maybe a bit shy or anything like that all those things on top of you just make you really really 
don't want to make of, of things and that's really difficult to go against yeah, yeah. I think we don't and want to cause a yeah. fuss do we because no. we think that if we cause a fuss then we you know like when you go to a restaurant if you complain you <laughs> think someone's gonna food. sit in your food yeah yeah <laughs> but the thing is when you're working somewhere and someone causes a fuss and makes complaints they're the people who end up getting the best care or end up getting looked after properly or getting their um whatever it is sorted much more quickly than anyone else and so I think from personal experience turning up at the 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 maternity assessment unit time and time again I was never made to feel like a burden and actually and this could be because things have changed in the past 20 years um and because of a lot of the work that that sands do but i was taken seriously every time even though most of the time it was just anxiety and there wasn't anything going wrong but i just would encourage anyone who is concerned or worried to just to keep keep fighting mm-hmm. keep advocating for themselves because the people who work in these assessment units are so used to so used to people coming in with concerns whether they are you know because of uh, anxiety and, and mental health related or because of something physically going wrong yeah. you should never all, be made to feel like a burden all all concerns are justified aren't they whether there's a physical reason to be concerned or not whether there is something wrong or not all concerns are justified because yeah. um an anxiety based concern is a justification is, is justified because it's your mental health that is struggling it might not mm. be your baby but it's your mental health which is just important just as important when you're going through that trauma of pregnancy and and anxiety at the same time so tell me charlotte was your um was hope your first baby yeah so you didn't yeah. have a comparison and how was your pre- how was pregnancy with your second child following hope so, so I went a bit. I went a. I went a bit sort of um, left to field for my second pregnancy because I had. Um, so it went really well. Um, although she was born early as well. Actually, interestingly, I went into preterm labour at about thirty-seven weeks with Phoebe. She's called. Um, and um, but of course we were massively anxious and, and we kind of worked it differently so my husband was really, really anxious and in fact he um, I, I we were we were going to go back to the same hospital. And in the first appointment, you know, that really long one at 12 weeks where you literally kind of feel like you're sitting in the waiting room for three hours and just seeing someone for sort of seven minutes every hour. Um, that one of the midwife who saw me there, she sort of sat down in her seat and she she was late coming to the appointment. I was already running. She sat down, she went, or she went, or she went, run, rushed off to get my notes and she sort of plonked them onto the desk. And she said, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm a bit, in a bit of a rush. I'm not really prepared. I've just been back, I've just come back from maternity leave. And I, it was just, I mean, it sounds, when I'm repeating it now, it sounds like, oh, well, big deal, you know, kind of get get on with it sort of thing. But I must admit, I went back into the waiting room after seeing kind of, you know, I sort of, so you just had, you had a previous baby and she kind of opened it. And I said, well, yeah, she died. And, and then um, I went back into the waiting room to wait for the blood test or whatever it was that was happening next. And I just, I couldn't stop. Mm. And I I just thought, I can't come back here. I can't do this again. I can't go through this again. And actually, Mm. so we went private, which of course cost an arm and a leg. Um, But that worked really well for my husband's mental health. And, but it, but I basically didn't really trust the NHS at all. So yeah. I went a bit left of field and I, I used to live in Thailand and a friend of mine is a traditional Thai midwife and she actually came to look after me during my pregnancy. So she wasn't exactly, she was a kind of pregnant as opposed to a, she was an antenatal doula as opposed to, I didn't have her on, obviously on the labor ward. 
And and my labor was a sort of, I mean, eventually, a, but she was amazing. It was incredible. But she gave me the sort of power. She, mm. you know, we did meditations, we did Thai massage, you know, it was a kind of complete opposite of a kind of mm. clinical approach. Whereas my husband was basically saying, I want to scan now. <laughs> Every single time I kind yeah. of twitched, he'd want another scan. Mm. And um, and then when, of course, classically, even though it was private, I mean, I, I hate to sort of worry any of your listeners because this, of course, she's now nearly 20. This is 19 years ago. We went onto the labor ward and it was so busy. They had to put me in there. I had to have her on the postnatal ward in the middle of the night with nobody around and nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew I'd previously lost a baby. I pretty much did it entirely on my own. Wow. And as a result, I tore really badly and had to spend an hour in surgery being stitched up. So, so I, I kind of figure, you know, empowering yourself with information and knowledge. And I think that's what Sans would like. You know, Sans wants to be many, many things. Mm. And I hope we are to lots of people. But, you know, certainly a place for support when things mm. go wrong. And I went to Sans, you know, Sans was an amazing. I went to their peer-to-peer support groups, a sort of local group in, 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 in London where I was living at the time. And it was massively helpful. And, and we now have a hundred of those groups across the UK. And I think they provide an amazing resource for families who've isolated by this experience. But we also want to be that other end, that bit that I do, which is the research and prevention side, which mm. is empowering women to know about themselves, to know mm. about health. So we have a website called Safer Pregnancy, which you can go to that has a kind of, you know, no nonsense, straight talking kind of, you know, what are the risks um, to you and your pregnancy? What do you need to look out for to kind of give women a, a, a sort of, you know, to, to sort of basically empower them to have a, a voice about and how to raise an alarm. And um, and so I think the landscape has changed enormously, yeah. enormously since I had both my kids. And and I it's great to hear, Laura, that that happened, that you never felt dismissed. That's really yeah. fabulous to hear. Um, I think there's there is lots as well. I think people are tending like what you what you said about your Thai kind of antenatal doula. Well, I think um, that does sound a bit left field for for that time for twenty years ago. But I think more people are exploring that side mm. of things. And def- certainly, when I was um, when I was pregnant after loss, I fully immersed myself in um, hypnobirthing and empowered myself that way through sort of meditation and affirmation and that sort of thing and I found that incredibly helpful um, because it gave you more control as well as the extra scans that I had the medical side of things I was I felt like I was empowering myself by filling in the gaps between those sort of scanxiety moments and and then followed by the obviously the reassurance when luckily Mm -hmm. everything was okay filling in the gaps with what you can do control what you can do by doing things that are healthy and quite actually holistic you know um what's it called acupuncture I didn't mean what's it called (laughs) yeah whatever obsessed (laughs) flexibility is the one I was trying to think of the name of all that sort of thing which are actually just really nice things to do for yourself as well and control the controllables controlling the otherwise you just live from scan to scan and and there aren't enough of them are there no, no, not on the NHS, no. no. And no. Or, or like you say, Bex, appointment to appointment. You go to one of these midwife appointments, they literally check the heartbeat with a Doppler, you wee in a pot, and that's it. So, but you you pin all your hopes you on this appointment, yeah. you live for it, and then you walk away and you're like, well, okay, there's a heartbeat and there's nothing sinister in my urine, um, yeah. but that's not enough reassurance. No, I think you have to fill up your diary with stuff that's that's going to be helpful to your mm. mental health as well as your physical yeah. health. I think that's that's a really yeah. good idea. 
Yeah, it's about so, being vigilant without being hyper vigilant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's becoming a, a type of sort of madness. Um, yeah. but I think it's hard yeah, not to be, yeah, not to go mad not in pregnancy. Yeah, particularly, after loss, yeah, isn't it? exactly, yeah, and particularly, I mean, I was following my second daughter. I had a couple of miscarriages, then had secondary infertility, and did IVF, and so that whole that journey oh, wow. is, is 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 you know, if you've been on that journey and then you get pregnant, then you're going to be even more, you know. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we, I mean, we talk to a lot of women who are struggling with the secondary infertility because the, I think the challenges come with people going, oh, when are you going to have your next baby? Because everyone mm. assumes that if you've had one, if you've been able another, to conceive, yeah. then you can have another. But we, as we know, I had not before still going ever. I had no idea that was a thing. I thought, yeah, you've had a baby. Of course you're okay. So Phoebe was IVF. No, Phoebe was natural. Oh, so I get, yeah, okay. Phoebe was natural. Then I got pregnant incredibly quickly again with a third baby. And um, we, we we wanted to, but it just happened really, really quickly. And then I miscarried. And then I developed something called, as a result of the DNC I had off the miscarriage, I developed something called Asherman syndrome when you yeah. get scarring in the uterus. Yeah. And then I had another miscarriage following that. And I couldn't, the Asherman's meant that it, it was very, very difficult to get pregnant again, essentially. So I tried, I did again, I went left to field. I did sort of three years until I was about 39, 40. I did three or four years of taking Chinese herbs and medicines mm. to see whether I could help myself naturally. And when that didn't um, improve, you know, didn't change the picture, I then went to IVF and I yeah. did three, three lots of IVF until, but I only had one ovary at this yeah, of stage. Course. So yeah. IVF was pretty complex when you're on one ovary. So, um, yeah, so I had, I said, I've had a terrible experience with the first one, hyperstimulation and stuff. Mm. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, I think this is a great group, by the way. I mean, you know, who is talking about all this stuff that women mm. go through? And, um, and I, and I think, and I, I'm sure it's true for each, you know, each person that we support at SANS has a very it's you know it has a very complex picture experience of um, getting pregnant being pregnant losing trying again you know it, it's it's so personal so um, individual as well yeah. isn't it like no, then no, two two people might have the exact same experience but it will still be a completely different experience because of their upbringing their education their beliefs it's no two two experiences can be treated the same because no two people are the same right no, exactly. And that's what and that's sort of, I mean, just to pick up on what Sans is trying to do in terms of um, what we advocate is that care is, has to be personalized. Mm. And, and of course, you have these routine appointments, but 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 hopefully through these routine appointments that everybody's everyone's getting the same stuff, that you identify what is personal to that woman. What does she need? What does this pregnancy need? Mm. And identifying those risks late on when the baby isn't growing as well as it should be. So the possibly the placenta is not functioning as well as it should be. I mean, I think there's an awful lot of information that women are not necessarily entirely aware of the health of their pregnancy towards the end, Absolutely. which is about the fetal movements. I mean, the fetal movements are, are simply a sign that the baby is not possibly growing or is, is experiencing some type of distress. So that that sort of you, you, it shouldn't be that the that that uh, it should just be that you know the pattern of your baby's movements so that you're aware if that pattern changes. Yeah. Um, and that might be a reduction, or it might be. In my case, when Hope died, she fluttered. I mean, just before two hours or three hours before she died, she 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 really rapidly inside me in a sort of frantic kind of movement. Mm. She still wasn't, you know, dead two hours later. But if they, if I had got to the hospital and said, "Oh my God, my baby just did this crazy thing inside my tummy," mm. what does that mean? And we knew what we know today about fetal movements. Then somebody might have said, "Do you know what? The baby's small. She feels terrible. 
you know um you know the, let's do this and now. and this baby yeah. is moving unusually let you know let's let's palpate her you know instead of just putting a, a ctg machine on me and leaving me with a student midwife for a couple of hours they might have decided to intervene yeah so that oh. that is the sort of you know i hope i mean interestingly after hope died a friend of mine had a cousin who had a, a baby at the hospital and who had an appendicitis actually during her pregnancy and she was very rapidly given a c-section they didn't know it was an appendicitis but they she was in had terrible abdominal pain like mine and they rapidly gave her a c-section the baby was fine and i do sometimes wonder whether there was learning mm. Mm. experience yeah that's Uh, something to hold on to isn't it yeah it is potentially it was a growth experience for the medical team behind that saw what you went through totally and again that's sort of what I do sort of pretty much my bread and butter at Sands and what we massively promote is learning from adverse events so when a baby does die we have got lots of sort of resources and and tools for supporting better review processes yeah. so that it learns and they learn not just from their clinical notes, but they learn from listening to the mum. So they might have a version of, of the, of the care the mum received because they've got the clinical notes in front of them. Mm. She'll have a completely, she'll have that version, but she'll also have some extra stuff. Yeah. You know, I spoke to the community midwife. I told, I told the, you know, I called triage, but you said stay at home. There'll be a whole bunch of stuff that's not yeah. recorded in the notes potentially about the communications. It's so yeah. um, subjective, <laughs> isn't it? Because it's the truth, but it's two people's truth. The same thing is completely, you know, that's what history is made of, isn't it? Yes, it's just yeah. a bunch of different people's stories, and 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 they have to all be considered to get a, a well-rounded view of of what's happening in order for people to grow, as we were talking about. Exactly. Charlotte, when did you start working for SANS? So I started working, I mean, I joined a support group pretty much, I think, well, I want to say seven weeks after Hope died. And then I think I joined um, in sort of 20, sorry, 2004. I used to sort of edit their newsletter and then it became, and then I started becoming more sort of embedded in it. Um, so, so I don't know, I've been there about 15, 16 years, something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, for, as a sort of staff member. Um, and yeah. Have you found that that working within this community that it's helped with your healing? Oh, I think um, yes. I mean, of course it does. I mean, every every story is is different, but I think what is amazing about being involved in a community of people who've been through a similar experience is that one of the most difficult things about you know any type of sort of you know infertility miscarriage pregnancy loss death of a baby it's very isolating Mm. you Mm. you feel like a freak and you feel isolated and 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 you feel like all your girlfriends are out there I mean you are literally in the worst girl gang ever yeah (laughs) and you need to find other members of that gang yeah and I think and and also because it's so nice to to hear your own personal responses to grief and to other women talking about their happy pregnancies or whatever it might be echoed in mm. the experiences of, of the people that you meet. I mean, I, I almost feel like I'm closer. I mean, it sounds a bit weird. I am closer sometimes, I feel, to other women I have I've never met who yeah. have had a similar experience to me than I am to my closest girlfriend. Totally. Yeah. Because there's something you simply cannot explain about that experience yeah. that is unique. You know? It's so when it I think identification is is so important. And when someone voices that there's something that you feel so ashamed by we call them the ugly feelings but when you feel so ashamed by your own thoughts and feelings sometimes about people that you really genuinely care for and love it's such a dark place because it's like this cycle of you feel like shit and then 
you feel like shit for feeling it. <laughs> and the fact that you can't muster that joy yeah. that that should you feel should come so naturally just makes you feel like you don't recognize yourself anymore you're losing your grip on reality and that's a really when you're already filled with grief it's like on top of it it's the it's the straw that breaks the camel's back isn't it really Mm. because you you've already got this huge trauma and this unbelievable darkness and grief in your life and then you start to question your own kind of sanity and 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 you are on your identity and and whether you're a nice person or not and it's just it's yeah. so unfair to have that yeah. on top of everything that you're already going through. And yeah. so when someone else actually has got the balls to um, put their head above the parapet and say, I saw a pregnancy announcement today and I hated her. <laughs> you know, it just makes you go, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well, either yes. either I'm normal or you're a bitch too. And it actually doesn't yeah. matter which is yeah, which. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I almost think it's made dif- more difficult by the fact that women leak a lot and yeah. they actually share personal stuff a lot. And so that makes it really kind of bittersweet for us in this mm. kind of gang that we don't want to be a member of. Um, and but I but then again, of course, when you think of the dads and the partners and the kind of men in the mix who are also sort of living this loss I mean there's got to be a podcast surely for the worst boy gang ever. well funny <laughs> Charlotte because uh yeah we've taken some time off recently in the summer but uh it's on our to-do list you so. should say well do you know what get advice from Sands United so Sands oh, okay, United yeah. is a league of football teams oh we know Sands United one of our favorites Sam um Sam Wilford. Big Dog Sam yeah. Wolford runs the Salisbury Football Club. Ah, okay. And he's, he's been, been on, on the podcast. podcast. Oh, and excellent. We, we actually met up with him at our book launch in um at the beginning of August. So we're hoping, Sam, if you're listening to this and we haven't already spoken to you, get in touch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that's in the offing. Because as you say, it was really interesting that you mentioned what a what a difficult time your husband had during mm. your during your, your pregnancy with Phoebe, because there must be a lot of that for men, because you've got this struggle of like not wanting to scare your partner and not wanting to increase their anxiety, which you know they're experiencing, but having no outlet for that yourself. Mm. And and how do you even support how do you begin to support someone through through a loss or after loss when you when you don't know how to support yourself? It's it's a different set of challenges, isn't it, that that the partners have. Yeah, completely. And we do do lots of specific sp- support for 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 dads and for for fathers. And I and I and I um I think it's also a problem generally with maternity care. They tend to exclude the partners just yeah. generally. And I mean you, you only need to look at the response to COVID and keeping partners out of mm. units. It's just such a misguided yeah. policy. So old school, isn't it? it so I found out about my miscarriage during my 12-week scan and my so my husband was sat in a car park and the thing that he really struggled with is the closure of it because I saw I saw what had happened I saw that there was no chance I saw that but obviously just telling him on the phone and he was like what if they've made a mistake what if and he had this these kind of open questions that no one answered because he wasn't the patient and I think the baby was his as well he was just as much a parent as I was but completely discluded because you know obviously the pandemic was horrendous and no one quite knew their asses from their elbows at that stage because it was quite early on but at the same time he wasn't treated as a parent he was treated as my driver yeah. you know oh you can't come in it's policy bloody blah not I'm so sorry for your loss I'm so sorry this has yeah. happened to you unfortunately we are we are restricted by our COVID policy. There was none of that. There was no bedside manner at all there, because he wasn't treated like he was in the bed. Mm. It was, it, yeah, it, it was mm. horrendous. And it the fact that their support for partners is, is non-existent. Yeah. 
And I think they, we, there was a good campaign, wasn't there? That, you know, that partners are not visitors. Yeah. No, yeah. And that's why they're actually integral to the, to the, um, to the pregnancy. You, yeah. you, not, you can't cut out half of the, the parenting group. No. Um, um, Charlotte, just um, before we go, tell us about the plans for Baby Loss Awareness Week. Because Sam's invented Baby Loss Awareness Week, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, it's it's an amazing um, week where we focus, um, you know, we join up with lots of other partners and charities and we focus exclusively on issues related to, to, to baby loss. We really, really raise the profile of, of this issue. And I think it's gained momentum over the years. It's mm. always this mm. week. Um, to be honest, it's a really difficult week for me because yeah, my baby died okay. on the 11th of October and my birthday's on the 13th of October. Oh. So I'd slightly disengage um, during that week, but it, it, but it is absolutely lovely to see mm. the whole world light up blue and pink. All these major yeah. buildings across the UK light up blue and pink. Every you know, lots of lo- you know local groups you know sort of organise that. Um, there is usually a parliamentary debate at some point. Um, people lobby their MPs for, 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 for to focus on a, a, a debate around, you know, improving bereavement care or you know preventing babies from dying. Um, so we'll have a narrative around that. But but our main key narrative will be this idea of, of you know the stepping stones nature of grief that it is mm. not a linear journey that it's complicated and you're sort of bouncing from one stone to the next and you can't really tell which is going to be the next stone. But if we're all aware. Of what each other is going for and the support is there I mean we know that you know lots of people going through you know more than 50% over half of parents who have experienced miscarriage or baby loss feel like they need extra specialist psycho um, you know psychological support afterwards yeah. No, there are some really frighteningly sad statistics out there about the sort of support that people feel they need and clearly can't get yeah so um, it's going to be a great week. Um, and I think it's a sort of, I mean, I, I say I, I, I kind of um, disengage. I really mean I kind of, because it's a sort of, I have to do sort of things privately for myself, but I'm, yeah. but I'm very much engaged. And I, 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 I look out there and I see what's going on and I just mm. think, hooray, you know, for Sands mm. and for all these other oh, The wave of light is beautiful, isn't it? The wave it? of light is it's incredible. Completely, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring, isn't it, yeah. really, the wave of light. Yeah, and yeah. also I always found before I knew before I knew enough or as much as I do now, I would see the wave of light and see the pictures of the candles on social media and think, oh, how sad. But yes. more often than not, I think I had no idea that that person had got through or, yes. or and you don't like to say anything do yes. you no. or you didn't I wouldn't have never said anything and now yeah. I, I know I always will and just say yeah. I'm so sorry that you're you're a member of the gang it's yeah. Mm, yeah. Sorry, sorry it's a way of opening up the dialogue without having to actually do it exactly yeah. exactly and that, and that, and usually I do put a candle I usually light a candle on my table on the evening of the wave of light, wave of light and I p- photograph it and I post it on my social media on my Instagram or something then that is a conversation I will never have you know basically with my friends or relations at any other time of year yeah so so it becomes an opportunity for people to say I'm so sorry it must be hard for you every year or whatever yeah. it might be even 20 21 years on it will be this year so mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree mm. it's 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 very affirming mm. in that sense it yeah. brings it brings both sides together yeah. those who have and those who haven't who begin mm-hmm. to understand what else have had that experience mm. yeah 
Oh, Charlotte, thank you so much for chatting to us. We'll link all of your all of the details and the website and things for Sands in the show notes. Thank you both very much. And I am sorry for your losses because we haven't talked about those. Oh, don't worry. The That's listeners have heard enough. it yeah. many times before. <laughs> <laughs> They're bored of our stories. Well, thanks very much for having us on. No, no worries. It's lovely to meet you. You too. Take care. Take Charlotte. care. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.